0: Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Pat Merle is my guest today on Bluebells Forever. And I have to welcome you, Pat, and I have to do this little intro of you because I, we were saying before, like we only know these little snippets of people's lives. Like if I had known that you'd been a Rockette when we were in Montreal together, I probably would have wanted to know so much more. And how we sit next to people in dressing rooms and don't even know maybe a, a, you know a little bit of their life and what they did before and after. So for me, this is a delight to get to reconnect with you, because you were my company manager in Montreal, and then when I was in Vegas, I interviewed. Jillian Roshoy, and she showed me the book um, Neon Queen and she said Pat Merle's in here I'm like Pat Merle's in here I gotta connect with Pat Merle because I think we had tried to connect and like life is life right now um, so first I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this because I know that you're really busy and I so appreciate this but for me just before we even record it I was just super happy to get to connect with you again and, and uh, remember like just how amazing that time in Montreal was.
1: Well, Sherry, it's just as exciting to contact you again. I can't believe it. And such a wonderful thing you have going here. This project is great. And to be a part of it and to be thought of, to participate, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think it's like everybody's story is so fascinating. And I've done maybe 80, it might, might, might be like 85 interviews. Every one of them still amazes me, like just if we only focus on our showbiz that that's so diverse within that, but then also we have lives before the shows after. And I wanted to address something because um, it was trying to even find a time to do this because you're taking care of your family right now. And that I was telling you that it is a, such a common thing with people. I'm reaching out to the people in my age, our age bracket, they're now taking care of aging parents and, and, you had even said, nobody prepares you or tells you about this. I think you think I'm going to do this part of my life. I'm going to retire. Maybe I'll play golf. And like a lot of us are finding life is really different. And a lot of times people have had to redo their interview or we keep having to reschedule because a lot of people in our age group, um, are dealing with this hardship and yeah, to totally pick up your life and move somewhere else to, to be with family. So I just want to acknowledge that like, that's, um, that you're not alone in this because it's come up so many times of people shifting their life, um, different than they thought it was going to be.
1: I know. I, I thought it was the best kept secret though. I only found out people were going through this when I began to go through it. And I said, how do you do this? And so the only thing I knew how to do was come here, be near my family and, um, do my best at whatever it was they needed to be sure to provide. Uh, My mom's 96. She'll be 96 tomorrow. I'm 73 today. So we're going to have a little birthday party. party. I didn't tell you. Thank you. I didn't tell you about that. So we're going to have a little birthday party. But what complicates things more is my mother used to take care of my brother. My brother was injured in a train accident when he was 35 years old. He's 66 now. And he's always lived home with my mother and father. My father passed and then that burden was passed solely on to my mother to take care of him. He's functional, but he has a serious brain injury. He's gotta be watched. He's, he's like a young man, a young boy. And my mom's taking care of that, was shouldering that. And um, I knew that the day was gonna come that I had to leave where I was in Las Vegas and come back to this area in Florida, Tampa Bay area to take care of them. So right now, the thing is, um, I realized my mother really needed me to be closer than over the bridge. Um, And that was just before COVID broke out. So I went to stay with them, my brother and my mother, for a little bit to see how my mom was doing and what the story was. And then we went into COVID and I was afraid to leave them because they're both housebound. And now I don't want anybody else coming in to help them because of what's going on. So the sad part about that is um, my boyfriend my, my mother wants me to call him my husband we've been together for 22 years <laughs> So he is living in our home across over the bridge and I have been living with my mother and my brother for the last year and a half almost two years because I'm stuck. I don't wow. want to put her in a home and I don't want to put my brother in a home. I want to give them as much of life as I can So I'm kind of stuck so I tell Dan is life interrupted. And I'm thankful that I have such a wonderful partner because he's sticking by me and he comes over every night, a couple of hours and we play Scrabble together. So uh, that's my life at this point in time. And I'm happy that I'm able to do it and just keep moving on. And you've made me feel stronger by telling me that lots of other people, you know, are going through the same thing. Not that I'm happy they're going through the same thing, but to know it's a natural course of life and we're all going to embrace this.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, you didn't, nobody tells you that because I think. Like my my mother, we thought it was dementia. She had a surgery, got sepsis, but it was delirium, and they were also giving her way too much medication. But I, we were trying to take care of her. I live an hour away. I I am a widow, so I couldn't just, I could I couldn't not work. And so I was like, how do people do this? And the cost of it. And then like when the family split up, and you also find family dynamics that usually one child is the one that steps up, and sometimes you're alone in that. And so there's no preparation for how to do this. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to like, you look at what your life was in your twenties and like some of this, you know, that, that career yours is really long. And then like, it is a contrast, but we get to kind of go back and have those memories, not to just escape what, what we're doing now, but it's like, okay, all these parts of my life are still who I am. So I knew you as company manager in Montreal and you were a fabulous company manager Oh, and you. you were so much fun. <laughs> and I would, we're going to get to Montreal because I have some, some things that, that I want to see if I jog your memory of just that time there. But first, let's talk about like where how you got into dance. Where did you grow up and how did how did you end up in a dance class? Or I'm sure you did. You can't do what you did without taking dance classes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Initially, um, I lived in a small towns in, in New Jersey, central New Jersey, and I know I remember this Lois Wicks dance studio, which was in the center of Garwood, which is this little tiny tiny town. And my mother always loved the the, the recitals that she put on, and she wanted me to go and take. You know, the mother lives vicariously through the daughter. So <laughs> I enrolled in Lois Wicks, and we had wonderful times together, taking classes and wearing the wonderful little costumes and rehearsals and stuff like that. Time moved on. And um, I always loved dance. So I always would kind of dance around the living room and remember what I learned at Lois Wicks, okay? And swore that the minute I could start making any kind of money of my own, I was going to go back and do some more study in dance because I loved it. That's all I thought about was if I'm not doing anything, that's the thing I want to be doing. And that was just to be in the studio doing dancing. So I started to go with other instructors in the area. We lived outside the metropolitan area of New York City. We're in the metropolitan area. So 45 minutes of Broadway, that's where we lived. And I did have one instructor in that town who had people on Broadway. So she had a good studio. And I don't know, um, Yvette's studio of dance, another small town studio, but you know how you just have those little pearls of people that teach you stuff that's wonderful. So I went with Yvette. For a couple of years, and then I heard a lot about another teacher a local. Um, and uh, Yvette used to take us to New York to take classes. She'd take us on the bus trips um, once a month. We'd go to New York and take some classes, but all the whole our cold class, and come back. So I heard about Joyce because she used to take her classes to perform. Actually, not recitals, but to perform for the military at Fort Dix. And I wanted to be able to do that because to me, that was like the USO. And I wanted to do that. At that point, I was about uh, 17 years old and um, I was going to Joyce studio for about three years. And she gave me this this special price. She gave me, you pay me $80 a month and you can take as many classes, whatever classes you want in my studio because your passion, you just love dance. And I welcome you here. So that was another blessing in my pathway to professionalism. I one day out of all those years, never noticed three photos, big, gigantic, beautiful photos of dancers hanging on the wall. And um, Joyce's mother sat at the front desk. And I said, Mrs. Cristiano, could you, who are those three girls? Oh, those are our Rockettes. You have Rockettes? Yes do you think maybe I could do something like that? Because they were so gorgeous. I remember the costumes they had on the Easter show. They were just like bunnies and they had little fluffy bunny ears and and, oh, they just looked so beautiful. So I said, do you think I can do that? And she said, well, I can't tell you that. You have to ask Joyce, Miss Joyce, if if you can do that, if you're capable. So Miss Joyce, can I do that? Well, yeah, I think you can. There's a few things you have to learn if you want to put your mind to it we'll focus on that and you can start coming and we'll give you private lessons and we'll work on those things you need to do to pass the audition at the Rockettes. So I went every day for about three and a half months to learn uh, the certain things that we needed to know to be a Rockette, the the kinds of kicks, Uh, tap dancing was the big thing, but you also had to to audition. You had to do a small um, ballet audition and then a tap audition. So, we practiced that. And finally, she said, Well, I think you're ready. Now we're just going to write a letter to Russell Markert, who was the founder of the Rockettes. He was still managing and, and choreographing and doing all those things, producing at Radio City. And so I wrote the letter, got a letter back, very a standard letter saying, um, you, We're having an audition on this date. Uh, please come prepared to audition. And this is not a guarantee. So be sure that you realize that this is just for you to come and show your talents to Radio City. I still have that letter. They misspelled my name. M-E-R-E. Nobody can spell Merle, not in my entire life. (laughs) It's (laughs) M-E-R-E. Yep. So I have that letter still in my scrapbook. So eventually we went to the audition. I was working at a trucking firm as an assistant to the dispatcher. And one day said, I'm going to re, um, to audition at Radio City Musical tomorrow, so I won't be able to begin to c- come into work. And they all kind of laughed and smiled and said, okay, well, that's a luck. I was 18 at that point. And um, I said, okay, thank you. And so I went with my dance teacher, Joyce, did not tell my parents I was going to Radio City for an audition because I, I didn't think I was going to get it and I didn't want anybody to know if I didn't get it. So she came on the bus with me, we went, and I went to the audition. And um, the audition was very interesting. It's the first time I'd ever auditioned for anything, anywhere. Uh, So I was more stunned with the magnitude of the Radio City musical backstage, of the rehearsal studio where all these people are, and they all know how to dance, and I can see that they've been there before. They know about what's expected. I went through the audition. I don't remember, but. The audition took about two and a half hours. And um, at the end of the audition, I there were a lot of people there. At that point, I was just so stunned by everything. I just kind of got through what I had to go through and just sat down and didn't even worry whether I got it or not. I was just amazed at all the levels of dance and all the young women who come from all over the United States, a girl from Texas, they cut her and she cried and they said, We told you we wouldn't guarantee you can get it. And if you're going to fly this far, you need to make sure you're going to get the audition. (laughs) This is how they're talking to people (laughs) who are devastated, right? So at the end, it turns out there's two people left in the room, me and another girl sitting on the other side of the room. And Russell Markert was giving the audition with his assistant. And he got up and stormed out of the room and you could hear his taps, click, 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 click and echoing in the room. He opens the (laughs) heavy steel doors, walks out, boom, the door shuts. And now there's the two of us and we're just sitting in the room. So I'm waiting and waiting. And my friend Sharon to this day says, did we get it? (laughs) I said, I don't know, (laughs) but what do we do? What do we do now? We are afraid to do anything. So I guess it was a couple of minutes we were just that just sitting there looking around. He came back and said, well, don't just sit there, go get something to eat and come back for rehearsal in two hours. Oh That's my god! It. we started rehearsal the very same day. So I got in the elevator with my girlfriend, my now girlfriend, the girl I hardly knew and we just put our clothes on together that day. So <laughs> we went down to the lobby. My dance teacher was sitting there And she finally, she goes, I stayed in the elevator. I was speechless. I didn't know what to do, what to say. And Sharon got out of the elevator. My dance teacher said, is everybody on? Is everybody gone? Is there anybody left? She says, yeah, me and her. And she says, Pat? And I'm still on the elevator. So I come out and I start crying hysterically. And she's hugging me and I'm sobbing and sobbing. And she says, don't worry, we'll come back. And I said, no, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god oh my
0: god. i've never i've heard of people auditioning over and over like i've heard a lot of people say you you have to do more than one audition okay that's my favorite audition story i think i've ever heard <laughs> oh my
1: gosh and also
0: and you're you you had not told your family so now you have to say hey by the way i'm gonna be a rock cat and i start rehearsals in two hours
1: i said <laughs> i gotta call my mother but we gotta go eat and so joyce um joyce that's my cousin uh, so um my dance teacher, Joyce, she says, OK, well, I'll take you to lunch, too. So she takes Sharon to lunch and we kind of bond at lunch. But I call my mother on the phone and I still can't talk to her. I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm crying. She's gone. Patty, what's the matter? And I'm going. Ah, 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 ah. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm, I'm a rock cat. And she's like, what? <laughs> Where are you? Oh, I said, New York. You're in New York by yourself. No, Joyce brought me here. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Wow. So, you, you, wow. So, there's no like send off, I hope, and nobody, nobody even oh. knew you went. That's amazing. And then, like, you just start rehearsal. So, you, how is
1: like what you're an hour away from home? So, it's not yeah. like you had to and and move and to in New I York. Took the of. bus, you know, that we took the bus out. And that's what my dance teacher said. She says, I'll never forget this. I bring it to New York for a new edition, and I have to go home by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: how did that work if you start the, the, that? I've never heard of that, especially for Rockettes. I know for Bluebells, like, okay, can you be here in two days? But not, not the day of. So how you just start rehearsals and then have to pack up your life and find a place to live And yes. at eight, 18 I, years old you know in what? New
1: York? I didn't even think about that. I, I, you know We were so close. I didn't think, wow, all the other people from the other states suppose they had to start right away I never thought about that you just uh you just um adjust (laughs) I'm sorry oh my god
0: no that yeah about show business you have to adjust did you um live at home and just do that commute because that's not that far it's not like if someone had come from California well like did you do the
1: the trans she she lived in Long Island Sharon We both lived about an hour, a little, she lived about an hour and 15 minutes away from the city. I lived about an hour and we both lived local enough to where we could take a train and do whatever we had to do. Um, So after rehearsal, we both went home. Maybe that was a variable in their minds. I don't know. Very interesting. That was an interesting thing. So at any rate, um, we commuted for a while, but it would almost, well, I was, not making it neither was Sharon um at Radio City you do four shows a day seven days a week four weeks before you get some time off which is not always guaranteed depending on if somebody's sick which you're not allowed to get sick so you know it's that whole scenario once you're in there they only you do what you need to do if you want the job if you don't there's 700 other girls out there waiting for it so um Over time, what happened was I was getting exhausted because I'd have to leave my house at 7.30 in the morning to be able to get the bus to get to Port Authority and then walk the 10 blocks that I had to go to get to Radio City and then um, come home at night. The show, the last show, used to wrap up about 9.30. And then so coming home at night, and New York was in real good shape at that point. It was really dangerous. And we were walking home, Sharon and I, walking down eighth avenue one of the worst avenues to get to she would go to penn station and i'd go to port authority and we'd go home and start that all over again we realized it was unrealistic so i kind of my parents were concerned too my mom was picking me up at the bus stop at home every night and dropping me off in the morning so we ended up getting a room at the ywca and just said let's just you know sit here at the ywca and figure out how we're going to do this and then long story short, we ended up um, getting an apartment together on 45th Street and 8th Avenue. That's Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. The, where all the rest of the dancers did. And spent uh, uh, quite a few years, couple of years um, doing something really wonderful, amazing.
0: That is incredible. <sighs> 18 years old. And then you're just like instantly you're a cat and living in New York. Wow, what was it like for you with uh, being, uh, starting into that and what was demanded of you for rehearsals and um, the amount of shows you did. Like, what was that like as far as like, I know they're very strict.
1: Yes, it's, it's a regiment dance company, um, regimented. Uh, you, you learn about working together, intimately together. You sit in a dressing room and not just for two hours or five hours at night, 12 hours a day you're in a dressing room or in and out of a dressing room with um, 35 other, 36 other people. So you learn to um, accommodate all the time. And and also you learn to be where you need to be because they don't wanna fool around waiting for everybody. Uh, I learned the the thing that was most valuable to me and it it comes back time and time again in my life is about uh, the awareness of other people. It's not, egocentric when you're performing at Radio City, you're part of a unit and um, you depend on each other. You're only as good as the person next to you. It's not important that you're the best dancer. It's important that when they say eye high kicks, we don't care if you can kick over your head, we want you to do 28 eye high kicks. And so it's that kind of thing, blend in as much as you can and know that the success is in working as a unit. And it reminded me through my life now more and more how awareness of other people and whatever you're doing, how important that is, because it all comes into play with what what you're doing. And um, we would rely on each other in many different ways. Um, the the feel was like it was a, a sort of military people in a platoon in the army, or because you became sisters, real sisters, sisters you didn't like, sisters you did like, but you were all together. And when you got on the stage, that's all that would matter to me and to them. And um, the military number that we used to do, I loved it because of that, because it was actually military formations and we could see that how we worked as a unit. When we walk across the stage 36 deep, upstage to downstage, with the big white feathers on our military hats, you saw one feather, whether you were up in the third mezzanine, or whether you were in the orchestra pit, it looked like one person walking across the stage. And it used to give me goosebumps when I would be able to be a part of that, not to stand out, but to form one image. And I just loved all that stuff, the challenges, the times that we rehearsed. We used to hold over day, which meant that the show wasn't closing. The show we were doing wasn't closing that week. It was gonna run another week or two. And that depended on how successful the movie was at Radio City, because we did our show and then there was a movie, a uh, first run movie that would play at the theater. And I just found out, I used to think there were 5,000 seats, there's 6,300 seats in the theater. So it's a massive, massive wow. theater. And uh, going there and doing our show and then going out to see the movie if we wanted to, or run home and do our laundry between shows, the shows were 12, three, six, and nine. Christmas and Easter, they were, I don't remember. Oh, 10, one, we, had, we did five a day, Christmas and Easter. So that's a six week period of time. So there's no life. You really have, your life is at Radio City and your life is in the dance studio. You have to go to st- classes, but you couldn't go to as many as you'd like because you only had that short break in between shows. But those people, I'm, I'm still friendly with most of them. And that helped me um, to understand a lot of things in life. I can't really pinpoint an example now, but every now and then I go, God, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Oh, for example, the holdover rehearsals. You would learn the spot you're going to do. Holdover rehearsal was on Wednesday if the show was going to continue. But we had 46 rockets. 10 would go off, 10 would come back from being off so there's always 36 on the stage and we would do a different spot because your lineup uh, varies by height so we had from five foot five to five foot nine so that the taller girls were in the center and the shorter girls were on the ends so if some weeks we'd have a short line the five foot nine girls would just happen to be off So you'd learn a different position. You'd work on stage left or stage right. You'd have to learn whatever, like I might be on OP side, which is opposite prompt, which is stage left. Um, I might be on that side for most of the show. And then all of a sudden I move over to prompt and everything reverses. Uh, Open formations. You might be in the front line um, this week. Next week, you might be in the back line. If you're in the middle line, you're lucky. You don't have to cover off. If you're in the front of the third line, you have to cut. There's all these kinds of formations that are affected every week that there's a rollover and people went off and other people came on. I learned how to pick up really fast. I learned how to reverse choreography really fast because if you didn't, you weren't there. It's, it's a long story. You can go on and on with this, but it was valuable in my whole life, disciplinary yeah. and just learning how to. Make reverse choreography.
0: (laughs) When when before we recorded, it was interesting how you that you've had such a variety of shows that you did, and each one. When we get to like doing Ron Lewis and doing Bluebell, like those are very different emphasis. But the Rockette, when you that really stuck out to me is how you feel the shoulder of the person next to you, and like you said, you get emotional. Like that that this this was something working together in such a different way than getting to like, you know, rock out in a Ron Lewis thing. So (laughs) each one has like a really different emphasis. And there's some people that, you know, they only do rockets, they only did Ron Lewis. There's a lot of people that did both. And I think, you know, there's such benefits that carry over into not just your dance life but your life outside of of dance. And that makes sense why you're such a good company manager too. And imagine us like, I'm thinking Maureen and I were just total goofballs. Um, When you have precision and we're, you know, like that must be frustrating when you know what a show can be. And if, you know, like how much are you allowed to clean of what's in those shows where you're like, we're not going to rehearse every single day. <laughs> so when you are <laughs> used, you start out with the most meticulous, you know, company ever. Um, uh, we'll have to ask some questions when you get into other shows, if you could just leave that, or was it hard to just, you know, see that it wasn't precise in a lot of those shows. So how did you end up in, um, I think I know your next one was the Stardust, the leader de Paris.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. No, okay, okay. No, I think I jumped all over. Between that, no, I went to, I know why you're saying that is um, because of, of Jillian Rossoy oh, and the yeah. Lido. Um, it affected the Lido, affected my life, and Jillian affected my life um, enough to make me quit the Radio City Musical and move to Las Vegas you know, overnight, literally.
0: Uh, so, was that, <laughs> when when could, you, with- could you have done that? Like, you did it two years ago, kid? a little over a That's
1: little so over hard. about two and a
0: half years did yeah. Did you know what else was out there in the for dance uh career or because so we always talk about like backstage you find out about all the other shows because people have done other things but if you've got rockettes that have never done like Vegasy things like how did you know or did you have anything in mind of what might be
1: next for you or you just done no. being a rocket? I never even planned on having a professional career as a dancer. I just loved dance. That was all. I just loved it. And I'm so fortunate to have, I don't know, it just kind of unfolded for me. I guess the passion made me aware of the opportunity. Um, The Radio City thing, just, I didn't say I want to be a Rockette. Not until I said, hey, they're Rockettes and I really like what I'm doing. One and one is two. Maybe let, let me try that. And so when I did that, I didn't think much anymore. I, I got to tell you one thing, this is awful. The, you know, everything's wonderful and rosy and the makeup's nice and everything. But I remember the age range at Radio City, our line captain was in her sixties. Yes, and oh. most of the dancers, I forgot about this. Your age meant nothing you all you had to do was be able to do the choreography that was required of you. Cause sometimes we'd have to fill in, in the ballet company when they do certain numbers, we'd have to fill in little sections there and then be able to do all the stuff that makes you a rock cat, the tap routines and whatever. But they were older women predominantly. I was among the youngest and oh um, our line captain would jump in the line periodically from time to time when we were short. And our swing girl, she was in her late 50s. Here I am, 18, sitting next to a late a late 50-year-old woman, right, trying to relate to this whole situation. And it was mature women that drove that whole thing. So you just made me think about that. And she, our, God, yeah, most of the women were probably in more toward their late 30s and up. And then we had a little young crew that would come in. And now I've lost track of what you've asked me. Ooh.
0: But that's interesting too, because you learn, like if you were all 18 year olds, it'd be very different when you've got that maturity of like looking like you have the role models right there of how, uh, how to be professional. Cause like, I just remember working on the cruise ships, they would get these 18 year olds on and they would come on all sweet and innocent. And a week later they slept with everybody on the ship. They're smoking, drinking they just <laughs> because it's like, Woo-hoo, we're free. And it was like, it was always like how to rein in those 18 year olds that are like free for the first time. Uh, But you don't want that with a rocket. So this is just interesting of how much you learn from people who are seasoned. And I have to tell you uh, when in Montreal, I think I was 22 and Maureen was younger than me. And I remember when we found out you were, I think you were 30. Yeah. And I was like 30. I was like, I hope I can still walk at 30. I mean, just like 30 was so old and we were like She's 30 and she's still dancing professionally. Like I hope I can still it was such a weird thing to see that 30 was old, but you were such a great dancer and such a you know, so alive and youthful. But we wouldn't have never guessed 30, but it made me go, you can still dance at 30. I just had always been told your career is really short. Don't go to college, go do it while you can before your bones don't work anymore. At 30, you're now you have to be a mother and you have to stop doing this. So even just seeing you was a, a great example that these careers can keep going. And then, I don't know if you know, Liz Elliott, I remember like, she went to 40 and she said like, all of a sudden there's, a you know, an 18 year old next to you in the dressing room, you start to feel old, but like, but wait, we were the young ones for, and then when it switches to the, you're not the young ones anymore. It's so sad reality. Yeah. But I feel like when you see people that are still going, it, it does open that option. And say so like, no, you've got like four good years and then you're done. Well, you know
1: what? what? I was done. I kind of self-retired. This is where it was going with that. You reminded me. I, when we were dressing in the dressing room, I remember this one woman and I just, she was a beautiful woman. Her name was Louise. She took her shoes off and her feet were crippled. I mean, I, she had a bunion, like a, she had crippled, gnarled feet. And I remember that. And I said, I am not going to dance until the day I die. I'm getting out while I can look good and I'm not crippled. It went into my head. uh Uh-uh, I'm not being 50. That's not happening. (laughs) So that kind of, and then that really triggered it all. I was like, I'm not being an old lady and that's all I have in my life. I'm not doing that. A rocket. I can do it for a while. I want to live some other life. So that was one of the motivations for me to kind of think about what else might be out there. And another thing, George Reisch pushed me back on the stage because I quit. I'm 25. I quit. And I'm just kind of just stopped, you know, saying no, I'm stuck taking jobs. And George said, you still got some time in you and I want to see you go. And so I did the Miami show and then we came and I, I did the Montreal show. But I did it.
0: Oh, it somebody so encouraged it, you oh, to keep
1: going. going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so. How did you end up? So what happened after Rockettes? What was your
1: next uh- adventure. So I went to, um, we went on vacation. Uh, My girlfriend and I, who I auditioned with, we became close friends and still are today. And um, we went on vacation um, in Los Angeles with my cousin and we stayed with her. And just prior to getting ready to leave and go back to New Jersey and New York, she told us, you're so close yet so far. Let's go to Las Vegas while you're here. You may never get a chance to see it again. And I really think this is where you should be. My uncle was, um, he worked in lots of fun. He was a floorman. And so, and they also had a small motel that they ran, my aunt and uncle. So they were kind of, they love in Las Vegas just for what it is. They kept saying, Patty should be here. So we went to Las Vegas and um, stayed for two nights and a little bit over two days. And they got to to see a few shows and um, saw the Lido and was totally enamored with it and then um, decided that I wanted to talk to somebody and see how you do this. Uh, it, that was totally foreign to me. And then oh, the other part is, you know, when you see the nudes coming out, you go, whoa, I don't know if I can do that. You know, like, what is that all about? But my aunt had already said to me, don't worry about that. Everybody does that, it's from Paris. <laughs> uh, she says, you can be in the show, you can either be a nude, you can be a dress dancer, you can be whatever you want, don't worry about that. That's what the show is all about. That's my father's sister. So I'm like, okay, uh-huh. in March. so <laughs> I went backstage at the Lido and I don't know how I got back there, <clears throat> but I saw um, a couple, the, the lead couple, Adashio couple rehearsing and kind of walked up to them and said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but I have some questions. And I told her the story about coming to Las Vegas and I was interested in finding work and how could I find work and what could I find work in and the funny thing is you were talking about Jillian Roshowi. She um, was the female mm-hmm. and uh, Ron Watson was the male. And Jillian and Ron stopped their rehearsal and sat down a little bit and started talking to me about what Las Vegas was about. And I asked them where and how do you find work? And they explained um, the dirt alert or through word of mouth. And there's little postings that when they're going to have auditions for new shows, and so I said, okay, well, now I know about that. So I left and I spoke to them, for oh, maybe 10 minutes. And um, I went back to the hotel that night and we were getting ready to go and everybody's packing. And um, all of a sudden, I didn't want to pack anymore. I was kind of interested in what was going on out there and felt that I didn't want to leave either. I wanted to have the opportunity to investigate this a little more. So the morning that we're ready to check out, I told my cousin that um, I, I'm going to (laughs) stay and she said what I said I'm going to stay and my girlfriend said what what about we have to be back at Radio City and I'm like there's thousands of girls that want my spot Radio City I want somebody's spot here I'm going to stay and see what I can do I'll give them my notice when I gave them the notice was the remainder of my my vacation I really actually didn't give the proper notice so that's the way I left my first job which I'm not proud to say but at the time, it was just being so young and ridiculously carefree. I said, I'm not missing this opportunity to at least see what Las Vegas is about. So I stayed and what I did actually, I was a, an, uh, uh, now I'm not gonna remember the name of the company. There was a, a photography company that ran all, that did all the casinos where they would sell photos, um, mementos for people seeing and watching shows there. And so I became a cashman camera girl. And that's what I did um, so that I could work in all the hotels and start finding out where I can get a job and what I can do. Ended up finding about, finding out about an audition through word of mouth. And it ended up being a show for Lene Renault, who was the Chanteuse at Casino de Paris. And she had that show up in Lake Tahoe, which was my first glorious visit to Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started in the, in the Nevada clique of performers, Sharon and I both went there. And then right after that one was Barry Ashton. Oh wait. wait. Yeah. was Barry Ashton. That's right after that. And that we came back to the Sands and we were in the Copa room. Both Sharon and I got a, a hired for that audition. And that's the time that I really felt the beauty and the glory of being a a showgirl, a Las Vegas performer, and how beauty and glamour and flamboyant costumes became a reality to me. And I just went, oh, my God, this is a whole different perspective of what I've been doing now. I can just walk out and go, God, I look good because I'm wearing, mm-hmm. what, with variation? Real fur and crystal, Swarovski crystals. And, oh, my God, you couldn't feel bad in that. <laughs>
0: I worked, cause I don't think I realized how big his reach was. I worked for, uh, Barry Ashton in Puerto Rico and I remember wearing Fox fur and then like starting to worry about fur back then, <laughs> but those costumes were so glamorous. But, um, so you're also not having, you're working hard, but not the, the level of <laughs> abuse to the body that you were doing before. Um, cause you had said something too, about being an Ashton girl. which like, I didn't even know that. Like, like how you had to you got in trouble. Can you tell about that? About the makeup thing? Because
1: oh, the audition. Oh, there's, yeah. there's the, the remnants of Radio City. Um, now, now I'm working. Okay, we get the audition for Barry Ashton, my girlfriend Sharon and I, and we're ready to go to rehearsal. Uh, the next day we go to rehearsal and we're all set. We're over there warming up. And Barry comes over to us and pulls us in a corner and very sternly says, Don't you ever um, to my rehearsal looking like that again. And we're both stunned. We ha- we looked the way we did at Radio City. wasn't about glamour. Get your hair out of your eyes. I don't care if you have red shoes or pink shoes and get your leotard on, get your tights on. You're going to work for 40 minutes. They didn't care about makeup or any of that. And now all of a sudden, uh, we're with Barry Ashton and we realize that every day we come to rehearsal, we must be we don't wear stage makeup, but you don't wear day makeup. You wear this this light stage makeup. You still have to have false lashes and all that stuff on. That was a rude awakening, and then um, we were stunned by it. But as we started working for him, we realized that to be an Ashton girl was um, just like being a what a Follies girl. You know, you had a a standard that you had to live up to and present and represent that company in a certain way and in their perspective of what they think their girls should be. And so we learned that, well, also when we worked at the Sands, we were strongly encouraged. We never came without makeup. You came, I had gowns. At that time, this is in the seventies. I had floor length gowns that we wore, um, not big flowy gowns. You know what I mean? I had a had an umpire waist black long sleeve turtleneck slim fit to the floor gown that I would wear that people love the most. And we would walk through the showroom before half hour and then be obviously seen going backstage. And they encouraged that. I don't know if anybody else remembers. They encourage you to come out into the casino between shows and b- mingle and talk to people and kind of create a reality for those people of what the showgirls were all about. And every time I worked for Barry, that's kind of how it was. Um, He wanted you to let the audience see that you were a real person that was glorious and glamorous. And then you go on the stage and you show them the other side of you. And it was just very interesting. And now I know it It was a marketing thing. It was a reputation that we had to stand up to and live up to. It's so interesting because, um, I worked, I got hired
0: and worked in hello, Hollywood, hello, which is Reno. And we would scrub our face, whatever, you know, whatever casual thing you go home and no one saw us because we went out the back door. We never did anything casino. But then when I worked for Barry Ashton, like they always tell we were in LA rehearsing for the Puerto Rico show. All of us were sad that we were missing Thanksgiving with our family. And he came in at the end of rehearsal. I think he cut it short and said, ladies, go put on your best shift, put on your makeup we're going out to dinner. And I didn't know what a shift was. Somebody told us a shift is a dress fifties <laughs> like or, but we, he, we got all dressed up and he took us out in Beverly Hills and he made a thing of us walking through. I think we took the table the furthest away. So we had to walk through and he <laughs> walks in with, you know, like this cast of, of men and women all dressed up. And it was, they're definitely a, a thing of the showmanship of who is that? And then in Port, in Bermuda, the same thing is like you had to have your makeup on. You couldn't go anywhere. So the most glamorous show in the world I ever did was Hello Hollywood, Hello. And Left is yeah. the most casual because no one saw us. And then other places, I don't think in Montreal, I don't think they cared. But it was like you have to, and on the cruise ships too, you people know you're the dancer, so you always had to have makeup on, and you couldn't be frumpy. And so that's just an interesting <laughs> thing of that time. I don't know if they still if they still expect that. Um, But that is definitely, you know, there's women that won't go outside now, you know, without makeup on. And now I don't care, but I think it took me a long time to think of, of not having that in my life. Like you always have to have makeup on to go out in public.
1: It was your identity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So where did you go? So with, uh, so you worked with Barry Ashton. How many shows did you do with him?
1: Uh, Two, just two one in the one in las vegas and the one in um the sheriff's in bell harbor in miami beach yeah that's that's the only two that i was with him yeah Um, i I kind of got hooked up with miller and i'm trying to you know what (laughs) i just said to dan my my husband i just said i can't remember what i did (laughs) but i worked with other producers i worked with um Harold Minsky for quite a few years, and I was a company manager for him and a road manager of sorts for him, and so um, it's all those ones that everybody works for. You know, we all cross over into them. But I'm just trying to think of what happened. Oh, oh, Tibor Rudis. That's how I ended up at the Lido. Ultimately, um, I went to after Barry's show. Um, it was like, now what do we do? This is remember only art like third job. And we're going, now what do we do? And I said, I don't know, but we got to find work, one of us. (laughs) we got to figure out what we're going to do. we got an apartment here. So um, I ended up seeing an audition and again, hearing about it with Tibor Rudis. And I went to, I auditioned for him and I got that and went to the Bahamas and worked in Paradise Island with Tibor Rudis. Now that's another kind of perspective. You've got the showgirls, who really uh, are only there to give the acrobat dancers a break? That's the philosophy of the Tibor Rudis shows. <laughs> wow! So you're a dan- you're a dress dancer. They they've got the the uh, the nudes, a couple of nudes, and then they have the dress dancers uh, who work with the acro dancers. And those are the same dancers that were in the Tropicana, the can can that in very famous can can that was a Rudis can can. Really. Oh, he, all his shows were built around acro dancers and they would do all the sort of acrobatic stuff during the show in all the chore- all the numbers. And they were known for bend back kicks in the can can at the end and crippling things that happened to people that were acro dancers with them. And most of those acro dancers were high level dancers in the respects that they had either trained for the Olympics and not quite made it or it were in the Olympics. So you're talking really high-level athleticism and performance. They were ballet dancers. They just did wonderful things. So I was one of the dress dancers that kind of filled out the acro dancers. So we do all the choreography and do this and do that. And then when it came time for the really spectacular diving off three stories and having somebody catch you, those would be the acro dancers. So that was my experience there. And then finally, I just moved out of that. Because I I was tired of being on the island. We were living in trailers behind the Britannia Mm -hmm. Beach Hotel in the Bahamas, in the islands. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can do this. So I kind of tried to get out of there as soon as I could. I loved the show, but the the rest of it was not good at all. It wasn't particularly safe there. You know, islands can be not particularly safe. So um, I found myself leaving. And I went... I'd never been to Miami Beach at that point. And I was flying from the Bahamas to go back to New Jersey to go home. And I got to the airport and I said, Oh, I'm going to fly right over Florida. And I asked the air flight attendant, Do you do stopovers in Miami Beach? How much would that cost? Oh, yeah, we can do that. So I stop over in Miami Beach. I get there. Now, again, I was nuts when I was young. (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, I didn't have a place or transportation, but I got there, took a cab, got myself to Miami Beach, called my girlfriend from Radio City, who was living in Miami Beach, and said, Marilyn, I'm here. Um, I'd like to see you because I want to see what Miami Beach is about. and can." Oh, I'll get Joel. That's her brother. He'll get you a hotel room. Okay. That night, Joel says... Oh, there's a great, really great camp show that's at um, the Playboy Plaza Hotel on Collins Avenue. I want to take you over there. You can see this and there's a couple others, but there wasn't a lot happening at that time on Collins Avenue. So, um, and actually that's just a little bit north of Collins Avenue was the Bell Harbor Shops and Bell Harbor where the Americana was, where Barry's show was. Yeah. He takes me to the Playboy. We go into the uh, Playboy Lounge. There's the Minsky show. And so I'm watching the Minsky show out of the Minsky show. The lead male dancer comes out. It's a guy. Here's the small world. So early in our lives, the guy I worked with in Lake Tahoe is the lead dancer in the Minsky show. <laughs> he comes out, says, hi, I introduce him to my friend, Joel. What are you doing here? Oh, I just left Rudis. I'm going back home. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I can't believe you're here, Don. It's so great to see you. He says, you want a job? And I said, why? He says, we have somebody leaving and I'll, I'll talk to the company manager now. So I get the job from the person who's leaving. And those days you would get room and board. I got a beautiful room at the hotel, uh, at the hotel, the Playboy hotel. And then we got like three meals a day. And then I got to do the Minsky show. And my mother says, Minsky, you're in the Minsky show. I said, yeah, it's <laughs> the greatest thing. I loved small, I found out I loved smaller shows. I just loved wow. small shows. So I got hooked up with Minsky at that point and um, worked for him for a little bit. And then I can't remember, I think. Yeah, that's after that is when I went to Barry Ashton um, up at Bell Harbor. Wow, I thought that's a layover. That was just a
0: layover and you end. Of- up <laughs> See, that's the thing about that being young and adventurous because it's also not like we had cell phones or you could email somebody just like you show up and... Oh, wow. Just the whole, the whole way that lined up is, is amazing.
1: It's nuts. I said, nobody's going to believe this stuff, but I swear.
0: It's like, it's like your bus ride to New York. It's like, well, let's just go check it out. Made down a rocket. With two that's hours how you out. get a
1: job. Just go there.
0: That's a big thing. And I think it's, you know, that's a, the risk. But when you think, you know, try to calculate everything out, you've missed seven jobs that you could have got by doing a layover true so where <laughs> what came first was it the stardust or
1: montreal was first for you oh no the stardust was um before montreal okay so how did you get that job the stardust job a layover no because you were going back did you go back no to you're not going to believe this either and i can <laughs> i can prove it all remember my my girlfriend sharon uh-huh. i was working with minsky i'm not, not minsky rudis Hooray 76 at the Flamingo. My girlfriend's in the Lido show. My girlfriend and I, for some reason, when the time when I went to the Bahamas, something happened to our relationship. I don't know what happened, but she just stopped writing. It just stopped. And I, I said, something's wrong, but I'm in, I'm in the Bahamas and she's, um, I don't know where she is. Oh, she was in Las Vegas still. And um, so we, I don't know. It was quite a lot of years, okay. Well, five years. So um, I'm at the I'm at Hooray Seventy Six, and she's at Toledo, and I decide to leave Hooray Seventy Six, and I start looking for work. There's auditions, but not formal audition. I get again through the grapevine. Um, they're looking for somebody at Toledo. Oh my God, maybe I could do in Toledo. Maybe that's done right. So I call and I ask if I can come in and audition for the position. I came in by myself. I auditioned. And I remember this. What size shoe do you wear? And I said, "Uh, a seven and a half. Okay, good. I do the audition. And she said (laughs) to me, and it was a line captain. She was such a wonderful, sweet, wonderful person.
0: I can't remember her name. Was her name Dawn Branson by
1: chance? Donnie? No, Donnie came after me. That's because my story about the and no, Donnie still, took over. Yeah. I'm
0: still trying to find her because that's who I auditioned for. But anyway, sorry. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> It's one of those names. I forget people's names that I, that I know from this decade. I see st- her name still. Okay, I'm still trying to find her. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so sorry. So she
1: says, um, okay. So she walks away. She comes back and she says, okay, you have the job. And I said, how? When can I saw it And she said, in two weeks. They'll start rehearsals tomorrow. Um, and I said, Wow. And she said, Well, you're lucky because um you could do the choreography and you could fit into the shoes because we can't we don't have a budget to get it. It's because the sh- the shoes were the sealer <laughs> for the job. And whose shoes were they? My girlfriend, Sharon's. I didn't know that.
0: Oh my God,
1: wow. And I- that's what I said. And I, she said they belong to Sharon. She said, "Girl, let's leave it." And I went because I knew she was at the Lido, you know. And then I looked, and she came down the stairs, and my heart was in my throat because I was like, "Oh my God, I—that's my friend that I love so much, and I don't know what happened. And should I say anything? And look at how we get to get how it gets together, right?" She wow. comes over, says, "Hi, Pat. How are you?" And I said, "Oh, I'm fine." I said, "Wow, good thing I fit into your shoes." And she started laughing. She said, let's go for a coffee tomorrow. So we went and JC Penny in Las Vegas used to have a coffee shop there. We went to the coffee shop. We sat down and we laughed and we cried for about three hours. And the waitress came over and she said, I've been listening to you, girls, and I know I shouldn't, but you have a wonderful relationship. So yeah, it chokes oh. me up.
0: Oh, and we're oh still God.
1: friends today.
0: So you guys just had to talk it out. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's why I think if and people,
0: it, they, don't, they don't get to that point and you're like, whatever happened?
1: A friendship, you know, that, oh, well wow, that's beautiful. I wrote to her mother just saying, I, I love Sharon so much. I don't know what happened. She's my closest friend. So much we've experienced so much together. Mother said, I don't know, something's going on, but that's all past and our friendship. And that's the thing too about show business. You don't talk to anybody for 25 years and you pick up the phone And you're talking to somebody and you're right back where you started, you know? And it's just fabulous.
0: Yeah. There's so much of life that we did together. Like you are saying, it's the backstage show. It's fitting in their shoes. Like that's probably one of the best, like (laughs) how it is to walk in someone else's shoes. Like how about dancing someone's? Wow. So how long did you do the Lido?
1: Um, I did the end of Merci Beaucoup. I think I did the last year. And then I did the first... Two years of Ballet Lido. Oh, that really? was yeah. That was um, the last show, the last artist show, I think that that happened. Yeah, and that's I. Um, yeah, and I remember auditioning for that. Now I hadn't auditioned in years and years and years, and I was like, I. I found the big shows. I would get bored because it would be the same thing every night. And so I started just trying to learn everybody's part while I was on stage. I just kind of watched people and there were a Russian dance um, routine. There was four Russian dancers that um, did something, you know, a little spot in the middle of the show. And we all, the rest of us were princes and kings and queens. I don't know, watching them. And so I watched that and happened just pick to learn that dance one month. And the line captain came backstage one night and said, does um, anybody, you know, you have A A group, B group, C group. Yeah, it's your group, right? So Mm -hmm. anybody from um, C group, no, B group. I was in B group, so you forget. (laughs) Anybody from B group, um, any of you girls know that Russian, because we have somebody out and it's, you can't, it's three people. We need the fourth. No, I don't know it. I don't know it. And so I looked, I said, Michael, I think I could do it. I've been watching it long enough. He said, Go downstairs. I went down and we did it. Um, one thing was there were a bunch of run for se turns at the end. I said, I don't know. I haven't, it's, I've done it in my mind, but I haven't done it physically. So I ran through it. So long story short, I ended up doing that spot, filling that spot. And it wasn't a swing. And every time that um, they needed somebody in B group, to move because maybe he needed the B group swing to do another spot. I would do, just do it. Just to do it because it was something to do. I wanted to yeah. do different. So I guess that kind of helped along. But then when it was time to audition for the new Leo show, I was like, why are we auditioning? Doesn't Donard know what I've done? He comes, sees the show all the time. I mean, why am I auditioning? I really just kind of had this attitude about it. I don't know why. I guess I felt that I had earned recognition enough <laughs> by just doing so much. And, and just another kindness of a higher you know, out of me wanting to improve and get better in what I was doing. So um, I wasn't going to audition. And finally, Michael kept saying, come on, come on, come on. You got to do it. That's the only way you can do the news show. So I auditioned and I did the news show. Um, when we started the news show, I, Debbie Packard was... Um, the line captain in the show at that time. And she, she was having some issues. I don't know what was going on, but there was times where she couldn't make rehearsal and Rich Rizzo would say, Pat, you want to do stage left while I do stage right? And there's my reversing my choreography, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind to help them out there. And through time, I just kind of stepped out of the dancer role and just did a little bit more. And as a result, I, I found that um, I got recognized for that, not standing out, making a scene, and do, but just contributing more and more and more. And so um, then Don Arden kind of stepped out of the picture for a while, because that's when the mob came there and Rosenthal was there, and there was a lot of people in the casino and uh, everybody gravitates toward show business. And that's exactly what he did. So during his time, I was the assistant company captain. So they called it, but we were managers and Rocky Fagundes was the manager. So I became, I got out of the line at that time and then started just uh, managing the show with Rocky. And um, That's when I kind of really officially retired from dancing or so I thought. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, after a while, uh, things started getting a little hairy there. That's another story in itself about mob in Las Vegas and things changing and Don not being there. And, you know, suddenly you're you're in something that you're there because of Don, because of Bluebell, because of of the entity. And now it's becoming a wonderful Las Vegas show. that Siegfried and Roy came back and that was a magnificent show because the budget was limitless. I couldn't imagine what Don would have done with that. So. Um, I decided it was time just to kind of skip on out. And that's when I told you that um, Glenda and Lenny from miller Each were out there um, in Las Vegas selling a show at the Aladdin. And um, they called backstage because they had heard I was at the Lido. And that was the night I gave my notice at the Lido. And um, (laughs) I said, Lenny, Cameron just gave her notice at the Lido. And he said, tell her to meet me in the coffee shop. And that's when I got hired as... um, an actual company manager where I manage all of the shows and would travel from show to show. Like Lenny would say, we're having trouble um, in, at the Aladdin in Las Vegas. This is happening. Go talk to management, try to calm this stuff down. And then I would just roam around just to keep the shows clean and just kind of make sure that the standards were maintained. And Lenny never really had that and thought oh she was a company manager what do they do and I started explain to him what they do when they're stable and, and and sitting down and then what they do when they're on the road because so I had had that experience with Minsky and then with Alito and um so he gave me that job and I did a lot of traveling and had made a lot of friends and I don't know that that was um one of the magical moments in my life because I love the travel and all the old friends that kept coming and going and moving back and forth. And it was just great.
0: So you had to put out some fires, I'm sure. Did you have to walk into some pretty dramatic situations or was it like management or things that were happening within the dancers or you just, it could be anything.
1: Sometimes it, it gets near, it got near contract negotiation time. So I would start talking to them about a new show. I helped in, in sales in, in that regard, um, I'd also go and see, um, make sure everything's clean. Um, also, you can, you'll immediately know whether the climate, the atmosphere, is what you want it to be or not when you go backstage and you're talking to everybody. I'm kind of perceptive like that, and I I'd identify all tensions and different things like that. Um, also, to put new dancers in, make sure that they've got acclimated and things like that.
0: So, how did? Where did? How did Montreal? Because you thought you were done dancing.
1: Yeah. And then you did, I, like I
0: know that. you danced in C Bone. <laughs>
1: sure did.
0: Sure did. That's what he said. Come on, you got one more ring. <laughs> that was a hard show too. Because I um, I knew about Miller Reese. because I was working for Ashton Codschman in Puerto Rico that I was in love with the show, the Miller Reese show down there because I wanted to like Joan Palethorpe's choreography and But I know like we had management that helped us with our contract because we, they would not, they kept extending our contract in Puerto Rico and wouldn't let us out of it. And so Miller Reese took care of all that. So it's nice that there's people that know that because we had no idea we were young and they were threatening us if we left. And so like, okay, there's people that are good at this, that know the business side, like, just tell me how to get there. Where do I show up rehearsals? But I knew like uh, George Reisch was doing a lot of choreography in that show. Like it was Joan Pailthorpe did more of the funky stuff. And then George Reisch did a little more of the showgirl part. And he did the Scheherazade. So did you, because they worked together, but it seemed like they had very different things within the company with Miller Reisch of who did what. Like was George more about the dance part and Miller or Lenny Miller was more about the management?
1: Lenny Miller was the producer. He sold the shows and that's basically what he did. Um, The rest, George Reisch did. I I can tell you, here's another interesting thing about um, Joan Palthorpe. I used to teach a backstage dance studio too. I taught um, when I was at the Lido. And that's when Joan and Roger Manami owned the studio. Billy Thomas was at the front desk. And so I used to teach there and I started talking to Billy about a lot of things and we became really close and that family was very nice. So now the time comes that um, I'm leaving now, I can't remember where I went back. I think I went back to Miami. No, I was still in Las Vegas because um, Lenny called me and said we heard about Joan Palethorpe. And I said, Yeah, I know. Um, she works. You know, she owns part of the studio where I teach. And he says, Well, um, George wants to hook up with her and meet with her, um, maybe about doing some choreography. And I was like, Whoa! Because it. Or well, Actually, it was George Reich and his partner, Tom Allen, that were the choreographers. Uh, George conceived and, and, and produced the shows. And then Lenny sold them. And Tom Allen and George would do the choreography for the shows. And at some point, Tom was kind of a semi-moving out of it. And um, I think, I don't know who the woman was. Another dancer from Las Vegas talked to George about Joan Peltorpe. So then Lenny called me and said, Do you know? Yeah, I know her. And I actually, I see her every day. And well, can you get George and Joan together? So I said, Sure. So um, I made an appointment with Joan to meet up with George. And I brought George to Joan's house and they talked and kind of started to get to know each other. And the funny part about that is, when George wanted to come to Las Vegas, He um, said, Can you get me a hotel room? And I said, George, the biggest convention of the year is in town. Can't we like put this off a little bit? I don't know what, I can't get you a hotel room. And so he said, "I well, get me something. The only hotel room I could get, and that was through my uncle, was at Circus Circus. That was the only one. (laughs) (laughs) George was a very, you know, elegant, high-class guy. He loved Paris. He loved the finest of everything. And I said, George, I got you a room at Circus Circus.
0: (laughs) if anybody's seen circus circus you know why that's funny
1: (laughs) i so so they met and um the rest you know they they worked together and worked very well together the blend was it was wonderful it gave life to the show it was wonderful i
0: remember being a little bit afraid of him and then joan was like so fun to work with i remember that carlin and i when we started rehearsals had no money like because we don't get paid for what a few weeks after rehearsal we'd come from puerto rico no hardly any money i remember like Carlin almost passed out at rehearsal and we were actually taking roles from the dining room. We would go back there. Oh Cause we had, we had, we hadn't eaten. So Joan was like, what is wrong? And like, I think Carlin's was like, we haven't eaten. So she gave us some money to do loan. us. like girls don't eat. Cause those rehearsals were hard. But uh, I just remember that rehearsal process being wonderful. Cause wow. I think that just getting to do that choreography again, but I was a little nervous with George Reese, but getting to do Scheherazade and getting through the pot that came up with someone <laughs> asked me my favorite thing to, in any show I've done. It was, it was Zone of getting to do yep. the pot of and then diving, doing the swan dive in the guy's arms in the Bacchanal. Yep. I just, I love that yes. show. I love the opening. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love the whole opening, the funkiness of it. And the costumes were, they weren't fancy, but you also could dance in them. because I think I've been wearing like such big costumes that, you know, you, you, to have the freedom to move. Yeah. And so I have a, I have a couple of things if I, if I jog your memory. Because you were a wonderful company manager. You were, you were laid back. You were fun. Um, but it was David Hamlin and Maureen mm. and I decided to go to New York. I was at our day, it was our day off. And he either had a car, he rented a car. And so we left right after the show. We drove all night. Maureen and I went and saw a Broadway show. David was seeing friends. And we didn't sleep the whole time. And then coming back... Maureen flew back and David and I drove and we got lost. It was like foggy wind and went to Syracuse. We were late for the show and Maureen, I think she made it half hour before. I just remember we got there at showtime and you're like, get in your dressing room. And I remember slapping, we missed the opening, which totally screwed up the show. This was so unprofessional, totally screwed up that. And I think the first thing I did was, I think I got there in time for the can-can It was like to go from sitting in a car for 12 hours (laughs) to like a can can with eyelashes barely on and being in trouble because I was like, I'd never been in trouble in a show before. And so, but you were such a good company manager, but looking after it last like, oh, that's awful to do to the show. That was three of us on the cast was what, 10? Mm -hmm three because of them were so missed three were missing so we have a picture backstage it says syracuse or bust and that we're holding a sign and yeah just like that awful thing we're gonna miss the show and we're like miles away we have no idea we didn't have gps back then so thank you for not
1: killing us <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i'm very forgiving because i don't remember that so it, <laughs> it was obviously you know something like some just a little blip in the, in the space oh. and time you reminded me to remember that's the other thing I used to do that I had a reputation for and I didn't intend to, but it seemed like it always happened. I replaced people in the show that were critical if I had to. And remember I remember I worked the fly rail for a couple of days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> was it Carl? It was Carl and Michael. I remember I loved the stagehand Carl in that show. And, um,
0: it's Michael's, uh, I can't think of his last name. There's
1: Yes, yeah, Michael, and then but I'm, I'm now I'm not forgetting another very close friend of mine, Morris. Morris Azuz. Oh yeah. And I was on were... the fly rail because there was one of the stagehands we were out, <laughs> so I couldn't do my spot. So I, that's the problem with a small show. And I replaced the singer. We had the laryngitis team. Oh, yeah. caroline Singer. I forget her name. A little French what? girl. I yeah, I think it was Car- Carolina, Caroline. Carolyn. Caroline. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, which um, critical places I would take. You know, if somebody was out there, I could just move people around, I wouldn't. But invariably, like, people would be sick. Like Jeanette, I I can't remember her last name. Jeanette Collin, she um, was out of the show for, like, three days. She was a singer. And you know how they incorporate people, especially if they could dance. And Jeanette could move and dance and sing. And um, she's out of the show. it happens like an hour before the show now what do you do not have the show it's at the aladdin i'm not going to not have the show because the the principal the singer didn't show up right we got to do something right and that's what i used to enjoy was like putting out those kind of fires um i remember um the he was the um stage manager and he came to me and he looked at me and he said, what do we do now? And I said, get the laryngitis tape and I'll talk to you in about 20 minutes and I close the to her. And then I tried to fit into Jeanette's costumes and she was a lot shorter than I was. And I just went out and did the numbers and I just warned everybody. I went into the girls and I said, uh, listen, um, I'm going to do the show. I just want to prepare you because I've never done the staging. I've only watched it. So guide me along. If I get in the way, move out of the way, I'll do the best I can. And so I did the show. And I remember the girls going, oh, my God, this is going to be a fiasco. And I said, we have that or we could lose our contract. We're in a Las Vegas showroom. We must have the show. So I did that for about three days. (laughs)
0: in Montreal did if did Gainer ever miss because like she had a she was principal she had some hard stuff she never missed she never missed so I was like I don't remember going for her but I remember like I loved 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 her role in that yeah I I have a question to see if you remember this because this is one of my favorite on stage disasters and it was in that show (laughs) that our can can how we would run through the kitchen through the back of the theater through the house and then get on the stage and it was like that was more aerobic than I do like mm-hmm. in a month. Now that was just to get on the stage, but we would do those PKs in a circle and add in. And Maureen yeah. Eisman got the tooling of her skirt hooked on a little rail that we would come up the stairs oh. to. So she started to pique in the circle. She was one of the last ones and so she started to unravel and there's a, like yards and yards of tooling. So she was <laughs> circling around and we were inside the circle. So she basically lassoed us all. No, there was tooling. It was just unraveling and unraveling. And there, we were all getting tangled in it. And it was just, it was like a Carol, like a Carol Burnett or a Lucy moment on stage. Like, And the audience has no idea, like, was this supposed to happen? And then Carl was like, come over here. So she <laughs> went over and he, and no, I think it might've been you. No, it was, he was trying to cut it. And she said, go. And he said, no, but she thought he said, go. So she ran back out. He's holding the tooling and she keeps unwinding. And it just, it turned, I don't know how we rescued it because there was this tool I think they had to pull it off on the side, and we're still doing this kick-ass can-can. And and her, she's like, I remember like like crying on stage, laughing so hard because like, how do you save this? But it was like, that's one of my most favorite memorable things oh on stage because it was such a disaster. But you know, you think of the audience where they're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> I think we're like tripping, and it was just everywhere. It was red tooling under our skirts that just just went on for yards. Anyway that show was super fun. That was like Mario, just a super talented group oh, yeah. of people. And I loved our dressings. I loved Montreal. So Me too. did you get out and explore? Because I feel like there's so much to see and do in Montreal, like great Not music. Not as much and as arts. everybody
1: else. No, I'm sorry. Not was, as much as any, everybody else. Uh, I did get to see it. And I've been there a couple of times and I just think it's a magnificently beautiful city. I just love it.
0: So did you, because of your company manager, did you have extra things? Because I think we don't know when you're in the show, especially at that age, like how things go together, like how much work you're actually doing that we don't see. Because you were just yeah. in the show with us and you, you, know, made sure you checked in on this,
1: but like, we didn't see all the other extra things that you were doing. Well, the payroll, that was the big one. It used to worry me all the time, getting that all squared away. Um, and then just getting your shoes done when one need be, and just make, basically making sure the costumes are the best they can be with the staff that we had and um, making sure everybody else was okay because some um, again you get like a family and so you see people maybe that you feel like you should be concerned about what's going on with their life that you can't really get involved in you try to steer them away so I, you, I get with everything I think every cap, uh, real company manager that's so involved in a show like that gets more involved in their people to make sure that they're okay and knows where they're at you feel responsible for that because the people are there because of the show. So you feel like you have to um, protect them. Mm. But pretty much it's just all the workings of the show. Make sure the stagehands are doing what they're supposed to be doing, that the rigging's safe, um, watch the lighting, make sure the gels are changed on time, just all that stuff. It's, um, you're looking oh, at every aspect of the show, going out in the showroom and just seeing how many people are out there. And what, what, what the show's pulling and talking to the matron d' and trying to get information about that. Talking to the, um, uh, the hotel manager making sure everybody's um, doing okay in their hotel rooms that they're living in, that there's no problems with that. So it, you're just kind of watching every aspect of the show to make sure that it's status quo. Well,
0: I remember like having our own apartments, but then we did move back in the hotel for some reason. Mm -hmm. that i don't know if it was all the casts i know maureen and i we were roommates back in the hotel before we were done i don't know the changeover of our maybe our our leases were up or the lease might have been up but and because they extended the contract because i think yeah
1: yeah
0: you have an extra month and you're like no i don't have an apartment so you had to deal with all that stuff yeah because that was the fun part of being back in the hotel again and not because i remember how cold the winters were there like Bite. I was just going to say that it's cold and getting. And I was t- trying to explain this how there's a whole <laughs> underground city in Montreal. Like people don't walk on the surface because it's like just packed ice for months. It doesn't melt. So I remember going from our apartment, going down to the subway, and then you just the pop metro. up like <laughs> the metro, yeah. And you just yeah. pop up in the in the Chateau Champlain, like into the into the hotel that you worked at. And then going down there and like having dinner and things afterwards. It was just so crazy how cold it was there. But it's yeah that you're not dealing with a car but you're also like learning the metro where do you where do you go to the bank and I think you had to help with all that stuff too like yes mm-hmm. how do you find an apartment because when you're young and you know you're new to this your parents are like I hope you hope you find a place to live You're <laughs> right somewhere like not knowing and then the language I didn't speak French I lived in Puerto Rico and it got Spanish down pretty well but French like trying to talk to the landlord to negotiate the the figure out the rent and we don't speak the same language. So yeah, that's like it's so I'm understanding in a different way the importance of a company manager when you've got all these naive, you know, people coming in like, where do I go to the bank? How do I do this? So how did you um was that your last performance? Do you did you perform more after that? Or was that your last like performing
1: gig? Yeah. I did um a show in Miami when I came back to Miami. Actually, no, I went on the road. Um we had a show that did a Caribbean tour, uh, Eastern Caribbean tour um, that was satin, sweet. And so um, George sent me out. There's the example. We're going from island to island with these people. That was really nerve wracking. Worrying about everybody and the props and the sets and the costumes and moving and, and just um, in the islands. It's another story, you know. Yeah. So then after that, when I came back, <clears throat> I remember I just went, OK, I got I to have a break, period. That was a tough time. The um, agent who booked the show just disappeared all of a sudden halfway through it. Um, so we, I don't remember. It was about three and a half, four months. That we were going to different islands. And um, I have to try to figure out how to get us out of there because the agent's gone. The agent was the guy that got the money and paid us. And now we're suddenly stuck in, um, where were we? Trinidad. And we were stuck there. And I had to find a way to get us out of there <laughs> because there was no way to get the, the costumes, the props, anything out of there. And um, that was, um, yeah, we played an amphitheater there and the contract was up and the agent was gone. And then um, I was talking to the club owners, which island club owners are another story. And so I'm mm-hmm. um, saying we're stranded here And I got to get these people back to Miami at least because that's where they flew out of. And I don't know what to do. And um, Noel was gone. They said, well, we're we're looking for Noel. So they were looking for Noel, but they never found him. But I talked to him about trying to backtrack since we did so well at the clubs we were at before. If we could take one or two of those to honor the contract or if we do something to get us back to Miami. That was the main thing. So they rebooked us at the Clay um, House Inn in Bermuda, which was where we started. Mm-hmm. And we were there for about two weeks. And that owner talked to me a lot about um, what kind of fits were in and what we were gonna do. And I couldn't get hold of Lenny. Um, calling people from the islands at that time was not an easy thing to do. Not those islands. Uh, mm-hmm. Trinidad, Tobago, that, I couldn't get on the phone line at all. So um, I made a deal with him that we would work if you would just get our airfare and the last paycheck, we'll work the rest of the time. I talked to the cast and everything and that's what happened. So we got back into Miami and Lenny hadn't heard from me in about four weeks. And I called him from Miami airport. And I said, Lenny, we're back. I got everybody home. The sets are being delivered to to the office. And I just need to get home for a while, but um, it's been real difficult, but I can't and he started screaming at me, what the, where, where are you? I and I'm like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what I went through. You know, he was so mad he thought I took off with his show or something. Oh, <laughs> and he was oh, like God. yelling at me. I said, Don't yell at me now. I just want to go home and, and rest. So I did that. And um, a couple of days later, we were all calmed down. We started talking and then he found out, he said, I was worried about that. I heard from you and I couldn't hear from you and nobody was calling. And I'm like, we're in the islands. We can't call. We can't write a postcard. So everybody everybody got home safe and that's all I cared about. We got our stuff back. And that's when I went, I think I'm going to just kind of do something different for a while. (laughs) And that's when George called me and then he said, you got one more in you, and that's when I did the show in Mon- in uh, Miami at the Bellarm. He oh, wow. did it. He did the show again. That was my last show as a performer. Oh my gosh! You're
0: uh, we are coming to the end. I feel like there's so many more questions I want to ask because you're you. There's probably like ten stories within each story. But we're coming to the end, which I'm going to go on my deck here, like five feet away and teach a class, which is so bizarre that we can talk on Zoom that you're in Florida and I'm here and I'm going to go teach people somewhere else That's on wonderful. my deck. <laughs> it's just like the, the reality of COVID is things we never thought. But I'm super grateful that like there's a thing called Zoom that, like Pat, I get to like sit across from you on my Zoom and reconnect because... I wish like when I, when people say, if you could go back and do things, I wish I could have just sat in your dressing room and heard your stories. You know, I wish I could have talked to Gainer to see what else she did. Like I, like Maureen and I will still get together. She has a niece that lives in Seattle. So she came to see us, see me. And I, That's she's great. one of those same people. Like I don't talk to her for five years and we get together and it's like, we've never been apart. Just, you know, we speak that same language. We have some of the stories and we talk about obviously what we do now in life. We don't just go back. Cause sometimes it feels like we're not like the football player that's still going back and telling that one play they did in their glory days. Like we have such a crazy life that only show business people get it. <laughs> and so when you can talk about <laughs> these things, it's like, it's kind of fun to reminisce, but then to go, Oh my gosh, that was uh, so much fun. And so wild that you could be stranded in the islands and, and could <laughs> not be able, you know, am I going to get back of some of the things we did that feel pretty, um, pretty unsafe, but like, I'm so glad I did every single one of those like your layover in Florida and like, just, I love, love, love. So your story is fascinating. And I want to make sure we connect after this because it's just really fun to, um, to see your face again and to (laughs) have this after all these years. And so I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this and just wish you the best of what you're dealing with now, because yeah, there's like this whole dichotomy of life. It's like, you've got this, this things are so wonderful and things that are really hard. I think that's the part of the podcast or there's somebody whose episodes coming out who has COVID and she has a lot of like life changing um, issues because of it. And so like, yes, we have this part of life, but people are living the hard things the beautiful things and the, how we're human. And so instead of just like the glory days that we may have made sparklier or whatever, it's like, no, the whole, the whole human story is what's fascinating. Um, and so I just really wish you the best of um, this time that you have some time to rest. I know that even just scheduling was hard because you've got so much on your plate so yeah I know there's a lot of us pulling for you knowing that you know you're, you're one of the showbiz family bluebell family uh miller Reese family like so many that we've overlapped <laughs> so yeah you've got a big pool of people that are also you know knowing what that's like so feel the love
1: I do and I hope you feel the love back it's mm. so good to talk to you Sherry and to see you and you look just the same
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm wider i'm still tall but i'm wider now than i used to be but they that's count. okay as we all are. But I, you're not that far away you're like uh i, I have to go to, i go to bermuda every year so i might have to figure out how to like make a little trip out of this if it works out or just come visit me in bermuda because i'm going to be going and oh. maybe that's maybe. one of my favorite places so like hey pop on over. it's not that far Okay. You take care of yourself and we will reconnect. And I'm if you can send me any photos that you have, I mean, I've got some for Montreal, but I would love to share when your episode comes out. I love to share the photos. So people who worked with you can see it. So you've got like something from every company. So anything you want to share, we'll, we'll put up there and
1: okay. relive those I, glory days with you. I'll try to find some time to dig a few out. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you the a closet lot your there place. and I haven't seen them in a while. So that'll be good.
0: Okay. That's what some people said. They found their scrapbook and went, oh, I'm so glad I have these since the memories start to come back. Okay. You take care. And, um, and until we speak again, bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.